Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, the Spark Conference. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Now let's join today's broadcast. Welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, where we bring you top discipleship practices and solutions. I'm your host, Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. I also serve as the Spark Conference Director by equipping thousands of believers across the nation, and we'll drop a link for that so you'll be able to get more information. Today, we've got Dr. Chris Winford and Dr. Kyle Walker on with us and uh, talking about some different aspects of disciple making, how preaching is a part of it, how God uses our own personal journey in that. And Chris Winford is the pastor at First Baptist Brunswick down in deep South Georgia. I've been there since 2014. He's married to Angela, two lovely daughters, and Chris has a doctorate from Beeson Divinity in Alabama and loves him some golf. Is that right, Chris? That's right. I live in golf Mecca down here close to St. Simon's. It's a perfect That's world. <laughs> He's in heaven. We also have Kyle Walker. Dr. Walker is pastor at First Baptist Cartersville, north of Atlanta, has an earned doctorate from Southwestern Seminary, later served as director of missions, dean of students, uh, then the vice president of student affairs at Southwestern, and he still serves as an adjunct professor of preaching there at Southwestern and can be found many days hanging 25 feet from a tree in the fall, uh, hunting large animals. Is that right, Kyle? That's right, brother. Amen to that. <laughs> oh, and of course, if we do, uh, as we normally do, we'll have one of our consultants on, and we've got Ray Sullivan, just an incredible guy, discipleship consultant in the southern regions. Now, friends, listen, make sure you listen to the end, because we're going to be sharing some really practical ideas to help you not only engage new people, but connect them in your church, and really sharing some personal uh, details that can help you as a disciple, as a leader, and as a disciple maker. Now, I want to remind you, um, I, just to tell you, thank you as listeners, guys, you, you've been on Faithful for three years now. The The group is growing. I think we're near 3,500 members, and we want to give away some free resource. So make sure that you leave a comment, and you'll get entered into a drawing for free product. And also, if you share today's link uh, on your page and in your groups, you'll get double entry into the drawing, and you just may get an invite to hang out with Kyle Walker bear hunting in North Georgia mountains, or maybe with Chris Winford as he caddies at the Masters in 2023. All right? <laughs> All right. That's right. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe so. That'd be, that'd be a dream. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. Also. All right. So listen, guys. Pew Research noted that the vast majority of believers recognized the negative effects of the pandemic on the church. But interestingly, they also report that 75% church members say that there have been some positives and that this is a great opportunity to reset things that were not working. And I also noticed one article um, that talked about 80% of churches had moved, and I'll drop some links to this, but they had moved to a hybrid approach. So we've been talking about that, but I really hadn't seen many numbers on that. But it's interesting that so many, which I can say the vast majority of our churches now have the in-person, but they also have the online. And that has been a, a pretty good shift. So let's jump into our topic here. Where does preaching now fit in the process of disciple making? What changes are you seeing? Maybe any trends? And then maybe how is God even using your personal journey to deepen your capacity to make disciples. Ray? Yes, Scott, so good to be with you guys today. I was noticing during the uh, the introduction, you know, we have Dr. Winford, Dr. Walker, Dr. Sullivan. It just took me back, I think it was the late 80s, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd, guys like us, doctor, 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 doctor. Maybe. Anyway, uh, that's just- Oh, it's starting early. Here we go. <laughs> that's where my mind wanders. But yeah, you know, I, I'm excited about this topic. This is something I have been looking forward to for a while, you know, being a pastor for 31 years and, and preaching. One of the things that I have really discovered in, in this new uh, opportunity God has given me to be a discipleship consultant is talking to pastors about their preaching and, and talking to them about disciple making. And one of the questions I often ask is, tell me what is your strategy for discipleship? And, and here's what I hear very often. Well, I preach three times a week. 
Um, and, you know, we, we know that preaching is God-ordained. We know that uh, preaching is powerful, that God uses it. And we know that also that it's not, it's not all there is to a discipleship strategy, right? So here's my question. How does or how can preaching fit into a disciple-making strategy? Not the totality of it, but how does it fit in? And maybe give some personal examples of, of your preaching strategy and how you use it to push towards disciple-making. Chris, we'll throw that out there to you first. All right. Uh, yeah, Ray, that's, that's a really, really good good question. And, um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer, as, um, as, as I think most, if not all Baptists, would agree with this, that that preaching is the highest priority of the church. That's that's what we do. You look all through Scripture and you see you see list after list of of preachers. Moses preaching after he received God's word. Um, you look at the life of Ezra. I think that's kind of the the Old Testament example of preaching. You know, he uh, preaches God's word in a way that it makes sense uh, to people, and um, and so preaching is our highest priority. Um, when I preach, uh, Ray, what I like to do is um, I, I really like to engage my congregation in a conversation. Um, it's not a verbal conversation. You know, um, our African-American brothers and sisters in the preaching, they have the call and the response. Right. They're very, they're very, very vocal. Um, that's not, that's not my tradition, um, but but what I like to do when I preach is to create a conversation, meaning I want the congregation, the hearers, I want them to go on a journey with me. I want them to answer questions in their minds, in their heart, and I just want them to follow along. And in essence, they're on a journey with me as I lead them through God's Word. Um, whenever I begin a sermon, I always begin, uh, I begin my sermon the same way every single week. And it's quite, it's quite comical in my church now um, because the, the congregation... Uh, they finish the sentence for me. Uh, I always say this: if you ha- if you have your Bible, and I'm sure that you do, um, you know, um, and that's just a way to engage the people. What what I want to do when I preach is I want them engaged in God's Word, which is a part of discipleship. Right. Uh, I want them to 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 read God's Word. I want them to uh, to 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 hear God's Word, um, read it, track with me. And just be totally engaged um, with with the preaching of God's word. So I'm teaching them to listen. I'm teaching them to to navigate through Scripture, and I'm teaching them to study Scripture. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And 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 I love that, Chris, because the, the goal is not just getting them to hear something. The goal that is in that is that discipleship process of them learning how to read, how to interpret, uh, how to think. Uh, for themselves and listen to the voice of God uh, in the midst of that. What about you, Kyle? How how does preaching fit into a disciple making strategy? Yeah, it's a great question, and obviously, our call and commission, you know, as churches, is is to make disciples, and so uh, that's what we're seeking to do. I, I think one way I would put it is that, you know, preaching is the foundational tool for disciple making. Um, I think about what Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And of course, he looks Peter in the face eye to eye three times and says, feed my sheep. So we know that the people of God need the word of God. And and the, the greatest way that we as pastors get that word of God most efficiently to the maximum number of people is through preaching. Um, and we trust the Word of God to do the work of God by the Spirit of God. So we believe it's not only sufficient for salvation, but we believe it's sufficient for and in the process of sanctification. But what I don't mean by that is that the public preaching alone is the only tool we should have in our disciple-making belt. I think that's uh, the greatest um, tool we have, but I also think that we minister the word um, even in lots of other ways through other tools. And so I often tell our people, hey, if you have to choose one hour at CFBC, choose the hour to engage your Bible in a small group rather than engaging your Bible in here. Now, there's a little bit of tongue in cheek to that, right? Because I do believe that it would be sin to forsake the gathering, as Hebrews 10 tells the believers for worship. But, uh, but I want people to realize the importance of the tool of taking the next step and engaging their Bible 
with other believers so that the relationship aspect can take place, dis- discussion, question and answer, and engagement at a deeper level. So we want to move people from hearing the word, tool number one, in worship to hearing the word, tool number two, in small group for us is still Bible study fellowship or Sunday school, as some might call. Um, and then we want them we want them engaging the word further than that, too, on their own individually. Uh, we do D groups here at CFBC. We want them engaging the word uh, in a more in-depth way for obedience and accountability through a D group. And then we want them sharing the word as they're hearing it and processing it, uh, letting it change them. We want them sharing it so that non-believers and others here, their families here at home. Uh, and then, of course, you know, as pastors, we engage in that one-on-one uh, the Puritans would have called it soul care. We take the word of God that we ministered publicly. And we're also ministering it privately uh, in counseling sessions and conversations and one-on-one interactions and things like that. And so uh, we're also trying to connect our new believers after hearing the word publicly to mentorship in the word so they grow personally. So I would just say, hey, the largest tool we use is preaching, but it's just not the only tool in the tool belt. We must find those other ways to maximize um the engagement of God's people and God's word for their growth beyond just the pulpit. And, and that is, you know, and that is so true. And I appreciate you saying that very, it's not often. Uh, and I know, yes, I was a preacher. I mean, I still preach every week, but you know, 31 years, that's what I did. Um, not very often you hear a pastor that will tell a potential church member, somebody in the church, uh, that it is critical for you to be involved in a group. And if you have to choose, uh, I would rather you, you know, look to that group. Uh, I remember when I first took this job, um, it's the first time I went visiting, looking for churches, you know, because God had always called me to a church, but my wife and I began to to pray about what church would be our home church. And the struggle I had was being on the road so many times being gone. And I remember my pastor saying that day very clearly, I've never heard this before. If you have to choose, please be committed to your group. Yes. Week. I had never heard that. And I was just like, wow. I mean, pastors were like, man, I'm preaching. You better be there. You know, and, and obviously, yes, we do not want right. to make corporate worship in Hebrews 10, 25, but the goal then is pushing them towards that engagement part. So let me ask you this is just a follow-up to that. Is there a way for the preaching experience? So when you're preaching, is there a way for you to provide that next step in getting members involved so they don't think, well, I've been here, I've listened, I've listened to the sermon. I'm going home. I'm done for the week. How do you use the invitation time or uh, kind of closing that message to to drive members towards that group setting or that Bible study connection? Yeah. So I found that uh, to be something I've really tried to grow in and learn in as a pastor. It's it's something that I don't think it's easy to teach in seminary. And I spent 12 years at seminary. Uh, but th- this is something that there's a little bit of an art to this to where you as a pastor are helping shape and lead during the worship gathering in a way where you are seeking to catalyze other responses that you want to see rather than than only sitting and hearing. Um, you're wanting to also really emphasize and give people opportunity to hear about next steps and other opportunities to take for obedience, for service, for faithfulness, and for growth. And so one of the things we're doing right now is I'm having my Sunday school teachers individually take opportunities to do the welcome to our worship. So the first thing that our people hear is they're hearing an invitation from a Sunday school teacher to join them in the next hour for Sunday school. And these are just little, you know, insightful ways to say, how do I put on the minds of my people? What's next? What's next? So what? In the invitation time, I'm always trying to break down what does this look like to take a next step to respond to what they've heard um, in the life of their personal life, in the life of the church for them, at home, in the family, at work, at school, in the neighborhood? What can they do right now? What can they do tomorrow? And uh, and I just try to give that those options and call people and encourage them and then let them hear and see other people in the context of worship by which they can connect with to know, oh, that's so-and-so. I know his name. I can walk in and say, hey, my name's so-and-so. I want to be a part of or visit your class or find help or jump in and serve in this way. So I'm trying to make all those options, uh, you know, making an awareness of those options and giving them, removing every excuse so that they know what to do, who to connect with, and how to do it. And that is so good because the invitation, obviously, we want to give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. 
but yes. for salvation. And you mentioned that next step. So are you thinking about your invitation in providing next steps? What do you, what do you think, Chris? What, what, what are you seeing in that? Yeah, Kyle, I really liked what you said about getting your small group teachers to do the welcome. And that's, that's really, really good. One thing that I've, uh, that I've discovered as a pastor is, is, and, and one of my weak areas in my preaching, it, it is that invitation. It's that, it's that call that's, that that's difficult at times because you get so, you get so caught up in understanding the scripture, which is right and which is good. And we need to rightly divide the word of God. But whenever you look in Acts chapter two, um, uh, you see Peter's sermon, his first sermon, or the first sermon in the Christian church era after Pentecost, um, you see that that there was a call to a response. Uh, Peter preached the gospel, um, told them that, you know, Jesus died, he was buried, he was crucified, um, and, and then he's communicating in such a way the Holy Spirit is moving that the people want to respond and they do, they flat out say, hey, what do we need to do? And Peter leaves them in the response. So I believe that preaching always needs to lead leads to a response, which mm-hmm. means as pastors, we've got we've to think about what's, what's our end goal in this message. And then all throughout the message, you just give them those little nuggets. Um, and, we, and we as pastors, we've got to be clear what we want them to do. Um, and, and then just let them know um, let me give you a perfect example that happened two weeks ago at our church. Um, our worship server starts at 1030. At 930, I had a phone call from one of our um, parachurch organizations that we support called Mana House, where we feed the, the needy, the homeless, whatever. Um, well, they called me up on Sunday morning and said, Pastor, um, nobody has showed up to help. Our team, we, we partnered with other churches. They said, for whatever reason, other people didn't show up. So I said, okay, hold on, I'll figure this out. So during our worship service, um, I did something I've never done before, but it worked It worked amazingly well. I just stood up and said, hey guys, we have an opportunity to serve right now. I need 10 to 12 people to leave church, to leave church and go serve. I could not finish the sentence before 15, 20 people stood up and ran out the church doors to go serve. Um, what's as you know, it's kind of as embarrassing to my preaching, but you know, they wanted to leave. <laughs> they were all trying to get out of there as quick as they could. Yeah. Found an excuse. But they found an excuse, but what it what it taught me and showed me was that man, we have people that are willing to take that next step. They want to take the next step. We just gotta tell them what it is. And yeah. we shared that with them. And this is part of Ephesians 4, right, Kyle, that, that we equip the people to do the work of the ministry and they yep. go let them do it. But we as pastors have got to let go of some of these things and say, boom, here it is. Here's what we want you to do. Now, now you go do it. We just got to give them the opportunity to do it. So, Scott, you know, we, Scott, we say all the time, you know, that disciple making is not just about information. It's about transformation. And so when we talk about you know, the invitations, that's what we're talking about, giving people an opportunity to respond the and not just providing the information during the sermon. So such such good, and, and I know for me too, yeah, we don't put near as much thought into the invitation um, as we do into the message itself. And Kyle, just for clarity purposes, because I know I don't think Scott said this in your introduction, when you said you spent 12 years uh, in seminary, that, that wasn't just going through seminary, you were teaching, preaching in the <laughs> seminary setting, right? Uh, true. So I did finish the last uh, few of those years teaching, uh, but my time in in school was about about eight, I guess, between the three and a half years of my MDiv and the uh, four plus of PhD. So the bulk of that was as a student, uh, but I did finish out uh, actually able to teach as well. So that was a blessing. It would take about twelve years to learn how to give a proper invitation. Wouldn't it? There you go. That's right. <laughs> All right, Scott. What do you? Well, got? I love what you guys are saying because we wrote um, I wrote a booklet called "The Watership Principle," and really the gist of that talks about a balanced approach. And what I heard you all say is how you uh, lift high the opportunity to preach the word of God to people, and but you also recognize the opportunity to get people into the groups. And and what we talk about in the Watership Principle is you know, another layer of that whole thing is the emphasis for people to make sure that they are regularly 
in the Word, spending time with Jesus in a one-on-one relationship. Because, fellas, one of the things that was exposed during the pandemic were some of the pastors, and I wouldn't say most, but some of the pastors who put a singular focus on preaching the Word of God, and that was the only thing that mattered in the church. Well, when people got to a point where they couldn't show up in person to hear uh, the man of God preach the Word of God, things begin to fall apart. That structure begins to crumble. So we really do emphasize that balanced approach and appreciate y'all's perspective on that. Now, let's switch gears here. Before 2020, most pastors were only preaching to a local congregation who were in a building that were present. Now, many of those pastors find themselves in this hybrid approach. They've got a, a, a group that's viewing them online with a much larger audience. So how has this affected our preaching? How has it affected maybe the promotion of what we do? And maybe you have any thoughts on good or, or bad or any cautions that we should be aware of? And I've been watching leaders, and I'll, I'll start, uh, Kyle, with you, and then we'll jump to Chris. But I'm watching leaders try new things for the last two years. And there's been some really cool things. And some people have tried shorter messages. Some have gone to fireside chat. Some have gone to less music and more music. Um, some have used verbally the beginning their their time welcoming the online crowd which is what a lot of leaders never thought they would be saying some have moved to topical messages during that because we were in such a distinct era of human history in the pandemic so so what are your thoughts about maybe just what we're coming out of how that has affected preaching and good or bad kyle yeah we too like many churches um found ourselves uh, engaging in the online broadcast of our services like we had never done before we were moving that direction with uh, getting equipment ready to be able to live stream but we were not ready but we got ready with with the pandemic and obviously that uh that mode of connecting with our people was all we had there for a period of months and praise god for it so uh, we really tried to utilize it uh, during the moment to maximize ministry when we were facing some some great obstacles. We've continued to broadcast online. Uh, I've seen the engagement change uh, to some degree to where obviously if that was the only option for a while, now it's a, it's a supplemental option. And it's been interesting to where for us it, that that supplemental option is not necessarily a primary focus of ours. It's an option that's out there. One of the things that it's done is made me aware that I'm always talking to more people that are in the room looking back at me. And I realize that. And in a way, that's uh, I see that as a good thing. It's an expansion of really the reach of the word in the moment. I'm, I'm no, I know that there are more ears, there are more souls being exposed to the preaching of God's Word through this uh, digital avenue than we had before, and I think that's a that's a wonderful thing. It's also true, I've found, that almost every guest that shows up in person at our church has engaged with us online, even though they've been anonymous online. I haven't known they're checking us out and, 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 and deciding, are they going to show up in person? And this is just really what I think we're, we realized is your online service or your website or whatever, that digital uh, footprint is your front door of the church now to a digital generation. Yeah. So I think to not have that in some ways is to is to close a door potentially that you could be opening. Now, I think the dangers or the cautions with it, Scott, is that I, 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 I want to be very careful not to... Uh, not to overemphasize the, or not to let people get too comfortable there. In other words, I, I I want people to realize, hey, if they're standing in the front door, I want I want them to walk in the living room, yeah. and and so I want them to constantly feel the pull and the tug to come be with the people of God because yeah. to engage at a digital distance is not going to be for the ideal disciple. That's not that's not going to be you know, that, that that's the opposite of that small group dynamic, right? I want them to be with the people of God. I want them to be known. And so we don't know who's engaging online, though I hear testimonies and reports all the time of people who heard or people shared the sermon or they came after watching for quite a while. So we want it to be a place of engagement. We want it to be a place we pull from. But I'm definitely not catering my message to the online audience. I'm definitely not trying to pastor necessarily the online audience that I don't know. But I am trying to pull from that online uh, front door and whoever might be there under the sound of my voice, 
that uh, God is sovereignly working on and uh, and showing them next steps, giving them clear opportunities to engage with us at the next level for their own discipleship and uh, walk with the Lord. So I think it can be used for good, but I don't think that uh, we should see it as the same of uh, uh, as an extension necessarily of of uh, of who we're trying to necessarily minister directly to. Um, I think it's pla- a place we can start with people and pull them towards us to where we want them to be. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Good, good words, Kyle. I I noticed um, one thing. Well, there's, there's several things that I've learned since COVID and using all of this digital technology. Um, uh, number one, um, the use of technology, social media, online presence. This was a great avenue to actually involve the younger generation. Hmm. Um, we have a 21-year-old, 22-year-old who oversees our digital ministry. He's He is phenomenal. And if you were to come to our church on a Sunday morning and go up into the sound booth, um, the digital uh, uh, booth, you would see uh, that the average age of those serving in that ministry is around 17 or 18 years old. Um, the younger generation is allowing First Baptist Church Brunswick to be global. Um, I have I, I don't understand everything about online. I don't understand everything digitally, but we've got a younger generation um, that understands it and wants to get the gospel message out. And so uh, I, we're just utilizing the younger generation and raising them up one of the things that I pray for at First Baptist Church Brunswick, and I tell our congregation this, is that I want our church to raise up pastors and missionaries from from, the, from our student ministry. Well, unbeknownst to me, we're 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 doing that, but we're doing it digitally in the digital ministry, and so that's been something new for me. But it's been fantastic. And and Kyle, I agree with you. I I do believe that face to face small groups that engagement is really the is is. I would say that would want to be, that's what we want our ultimate goal to be. Yeah. Um, and one way I do that with the online organ, with the online uh, viewers, and I just started recently saying this when I rep, when I reference them or welcome them, I'll tell them this and I'll look at the camera and I'll say, you know, we thank you for watching online and um, you think you're enjoying a great time at your house worshiping. You, can you imagine? just coming and being with us, the presence of God is so much mightier here in person with other believers. And so we're trying to draw people in that way. Um, Scott, another way that, um, you know, how does this change globally? Has it changed my messaging? Um, I, I would say, I would say it's changed the way I use illustrations. Mm. I Because I know I know that our the service, my sermons, our worship service, it's literally going all across the world. I I know for a fact that that our services are being watched in all fifty states of, the, of 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 the United States. I know that it's being watched in Brazil. I know that it's being watched in Canada. I know that it's being watched in um in in, in parts of Europe. So I I know this because we read those uh you know we we look at where the, where the viewer viewership is. So it's changed the way I share illustrations, um, and I and uh, I have to be careful on uh, if I share a personal illustration, I can't <laughs> I can't tell a story about a bad church member at my previous church. Now, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, because because man, that's that's going out. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, yesterday, um, I was talking to some young guys at our church and. We were talking about my message, and one of the guys said, "Man, Pastor, just let you know, um, once your service was over, I immediately sent a text to my friend in Dallas, Texas. I sent him your sermon and told him to watch the sermon. The reason it, the reason he did that is because I told a story um, uh, about a, one time I was living in Plano, Texas, and then I'm going, oh crud, what did I say? Did I did I mess up on this? And so." I've had to be careful on my illustrations, um, and and but it hasn't changed the context of the message. The Bible is relevant in Brazil just as much as it is in Brunswick, right? Yeah. And so, but it, but I do try to think a little bit differently in my illustrations. 
that's not all the time. Yeah, you, guys, you know, you know how that works. And that's great, Chris. It, it, one of the things that I hear from leaders too, with the um, extension now of more people speaking and our our services are recorded, is just recognizing the accountability that comes with that. That I can't just tongue in cheek say some things because everything I say now is recorded. The number of us and ums and if I say something that might be something that a, a person would say in private with his best friend may not be something you can say from the pulpit. So, man, great yeah. thought there. Really, really good. Can I add something else to that? I was just yeah. Um, we have a Hispanic congregation, um, and um, and and so we've also and we know that we have a lot of uh, Spanish speaking people who watch us, um, but. At times, we've had our somebody from our Spanish-speaking church do the welcome. He'll do it in Spanish. We'll have closed captions, right, so everybody can understand. Um, and also, we have a pre-service, um, about a 10, 12, 15-minute pre-service time uh, where we have uh, two individuals just do, um, you know, welcoming the online viewers before the service starts, giving them all of our announcements, just really engaging with them. And we utilize again our different our Hispanic congregation, different different types of things that we uh, try to uh, promote. We allow our Hispanic congregation to to baptize during our service, and again, it's just a way to reach that uh, another um, yeah segment of the population, and that just that travels so far uh, through through media through social media. It fascinates me, Kyle, Chris, Ray, to to watch how you all have pastored and are now, uh, Kyle and Chris, continuing to pastor to problem solve because you're in such an era of Christian history and such accountability and so many eyes watching you. And it fascinates me to watch you uh, problem solve <clears throat> during that. But there's, like, you just think about where we are with in, in, in the church, in the, in the American church. You know, we've, we've sipped this leadership cocktail for decades of promotion of the worship attendance and is is the primary thing and we all know how important that that moment is in the preaching of the word of god is but but really historically you know sunday school or groups engagement has been a secondary emphasis and we really haven't talked a whole lot at all about just my one-on-one walk with jesus and how primary that actually is and then 40 years later kyle i woke up you know in a post-christian america Craig Etheridge, in his book Bold, writes that the United States is now number three behind behind India and China in the number of people who are not professing Christians. Right. And I think a lot of our, our pastors and leaders have to recognize we don't live in that Christian America anymore, and we've got to find ways to move people beyond this mindset of checking a box if I come twice a month to listen to my pastor preach. It's got to be more than that because that that emphasis has not worked. We've got to get people into a deeper walk. Ray, I think you've got another question here. Yeah, we had talked about, um, you know, when we talk about online engagement, um, I have a statistic here I thought was really interesting. Outreach Magazine uh, shared this, that remote learning, this is interesting, y'all, threatens the $670 billion college industrial complex. It also threatens the traditional approaches to discipleship, which is modeled similarly. Online learning is not only how people learn in most cases, but how they want to learn. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but what what can church leaders do uh, to see this shift as an opportunity? Um, you know, I, so many conversations I have, and, and I'm hearing both sides of this, man, we're done with online or we're wanting to do more online. We did an interview not long ago with some guys that are, that are delving into the metaverse, uh, virtual reality type discipleship. But, but from you guys, from your perspective, um, what can we do? Uh, any examples on, on using online as far as disciple making strategies? Are you doing any of that? Or do you heard some things that you can share with us, Chris? Yeah. Well, um, again, back to what I'd mentioned earlier about one of the great things about COVID and one of the great things about moving to digital ministry is it, this is right up uh, a young adult's alley. I mean, this is right up our college students and our high school students. I mean, this is, this is where they are. I'm not in that world. I'm, I'm in that, I'm in that in between. Sometimes I like to read a book 
the book. Sometimes I like it on my on my iPad. You, you know, I'm, I'm kind of that in between guy. But our young, our our, our students, our college ministry, uh, college age students. I mean, they're in this digital world. Um, I can disagree with that. I can argue about all the bad things that media does to your mind, which I'm in agreement with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the world. That's the world. So, what we've done and what we do, I think, I think we, I think we're doing a pretty good job. But we can always get better. Is it, is it, when we, when we, in our online service, we have designated um, a layperson um, to stay in contact with those who are viewing online, right? Um, asking them questions. Uh, they're putting, they're putting my points out onto the, out onto the, uh, you know, in conversations with those online, taking prayer requests. So it's an, it's, it's almost like a, a social media pastor, if you will. They're not, we don't, we don't call them that. And, but, but I'm, we're trying to engage with them, um, and make it, make that, make that connection because what, what our younger generation believes is, is that technology is, is the way we connect with one another. And, and that's, in my opinion, that's not true connection, but that's all they know. So I, we've got to speak their language, but then like Kyle, you were mentioning this as earlier that, that, but we want them to move from this technological connection we want them to move into um, to this real connection, you know, which which I call incarnational. Jesus left heaven, and he came in bodily form. So we need to le- ultimately we need to lead them from from a technological connection to an incarnational connection. But it begins on the technological level. Does that make sense? It, it makes perfect sense to me because we talk a lot about the, um, you know, we used to that we talk about the front door and yeah. used to the front door was worship. Yeah. Um, and then we're trying to drive them into those deeper layers of disciple making and groups. Really the front door now is online. Yeah. That's digital. Right. The front door is kind of moved out. So Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I do think ultimately, you know, I don't think it will change the reality that you know, discipleship is going to truly happen in its greatest degrees in the context of relationships. We, we know that, right? And I mean, Scott, you've got the you got the sign behind you. Bet the farm. You know, I think we can bet we can bet our discipleship process on relationships and the Word of God and the context of that. Um, but that doesn't mean that the digital tools can't be used to to help. Um, deploy and really expand some of the elements of the discipleship process. And, you know, so for one, like learning, for instance, I mean, information transfer can happen uh, very efficiently in a digital context. We, we found that institutions of higher learning, uh, corporate America has learned that information transfer can happen without you being physically in the office. Mm-hmm. So, um, they're taking advantage of that. And, and so, so there's no doubt, I mean, even our seminaries are really going to have to face some new questions uh, with this, this move where people are wanting, but because they know they can get access, they're getting access to every other type of information in a digital context. So why not information the church or seminaries or an institution provides? So I do think that there's no reason for us not to take advantage of providing the information that we want people to be learning where they are and they are in these digital um in this digital spaces but i do think that learning is not the sole um you know core of discipleship ultimately discipleship is is as one man sharpens you know as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another so the greatest discipleship is still going to be be retained in the context of relationships so i think we as churches need to think creatively how do we deploy i mean you know there was once a what was it? I don't even know if I remember. I'm too young. Discipleship training. No, no, it's training union. Is that what it was, Scott? Training union? It was at one point. Yeah, you got many names. You bet. So, you know, we, we can deploy our classes now in so many ways where like on Wednesday nights we do discipleship classes. We're often recording those classes and posting them on our website or where people can get access that don't have opportunity to be there. 
I encourage our people who miss a Sunday. And again, your average person is there 1.5 or two times a month. It's crazy. This is kind of the culture we live in. I don't like it. It just is what it is. I'm trying to change it. But I can tell people, hey, if you missed, you know, as we walk through the gospel of Luke, go back and listen on your way to work while you're at home. Uh, do what you can to stay connected through the digital means of learning, but always pulling back towards the relational uh, place we want people to land as the destination for their discipleship and growth that we know they need. And so I want to harness what uh, the digital space gives us. I've been able to do premarital counseling by Zoom with people that don't live in Cartersville. Um, so uh, we connect people with digital resources like Right Now Media or apps on their phones so they can. So there's just so many good things, um, but we don't want that to be as a replacement for the relationship place that I believe true ultimate discipleship requires. That's good. And Kyle, so that we do the same thing with this broadcast. I mean, there'll be a few hundred, 300 that get on here with us when we drop this on a Thursday. But by the time the next three days rolls around, we'll have 40 shares, 100 comments, and over 1,000 people have got on and engaged with it on the different platforms because people are choosing to engage in things on their own time frame. And it reminds me Something you just said, Kyle, reminds me of a, a thought that a pastor gave me that he had learned in the last three years. He said, I had to learn to fight for the relationship, not to assert my authority. And he was he was in this place where he wanted people to understand how important the church was, and he wanted people to respect the position of the pastor. And then he realized that it was a, it was a greater tool and opportunity for him if he would just fight for the relationship and then earn the right to be that authority of a voice in their, in their life. Really good. Absolutely. So, well, guys, let's, let's round this down. There's so many conversations here. Gosh, I'd love to have, cause there's so much happening, Kyle, Chris. I mean, like I'm, I've been in a conversation all day yesterday about how AI is affecting discipleship and where this whole thing is going and the way it is, um, mushrooming out, it is going to affect every aspect of church life. And so we've, we've got a whole broadcast we're fixing to do on that. But let's let's close this out because I think one of the personal things about being a disciple and making disciples and being a leader who's trying to figure all these things out is the personal journey that God has us on. And Chris, you've been on a, a pretty strong journey the last year, um, a painful journey, a real struggle, but also some really beautiful moments in there. How has God used this journey with you to deepen your dependence on him, but also to deepen your capacity as a leader. Yeah, well, it's uh, last year was it was it was a difficult year, the most difficult year of my life. One year ago, on March 10th, uh, last year, I was diagnosed with stage three colorectal cancer. Um, it came out of left field. I, I, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, wasn't prepared for that. Um, Nobody is. No, nobody is when you when you hear that that C word. But you know, I've ministered so many times to those who have cancer, um, and not that I wasn't sensitive to them. Um, I mean, you're you empathize with them, but when you hear the C word, when you hear the word cancer, um, uh, your life immediately flashes before your eyes. And I was 45 years old when I was diagnosed, and that's not that's not old. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. But um, what's interesting, Scott, is that um, is that in, in in January of last year of 2022, um, I asked the Lord for a word. I, I, you know, I prayed for a word for the year. Lord, would you give me a word for the year? Then I can use that for the church. And it was faith. The word was faith. Mm. And I remember praying this prayer. I, I can take you to my journal. I can show you. And I said, um, I want to grow in my faith. I I, I want to grow in my I, I just I just I just want faith. I don't I don't want a mustard sized seed. I don't want you know mustard seed is 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 small. I want I want a bigger seed. You, you know what I mean? Um but uh um so I I just that was January, the first Sunday in January I prayed about this this is the word of the year's faith. Um and then I did a sermon series on on prayer, and I came up with the phrase um, that um, that when we pray, we also need to be specific in our prayers because we want God 
to turn our impossibles into a him possible. Mm. To take our impossible and turn it into a him possible. And so I had the church write out, I gave them cards, you know, that Sunday morning, write out what your impossible situation is, come laid on the altar. And, you know, we've, we've all done that before. Uh, well, little did I know that I'm going to be the guinea pig, that I was going to be the guinea pig. And um, when I was diagnosed, um, it, it was always, it was almost as if God's saying, are, are you ready for your faith to grow? Are you ready for me to do the, the, the impossible and turn this into a impossible? And I just said, okay. And uh, I made a decision right then. It's like, okay, God, I'm going to show my congregation how to suffer. Mm. Not not arrogantly. Please don't take that arrogantly at all. I'm just like, I, I'm I'm going to teach them how to suffer, and I'm going to preach as much as I can. I went through 28 rounds of radiation. I went through six plus months of the chemotherapy, um, and the 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 prognosis for my cancer was not good. It was going to be some pretty significant surgery that would be life changing, that would be life altering, um, and. Uh, I told the congregation what I was going through, and then I said this, here's what I ask you to pray for me. I pray, I ask you to pray that God would heal me. And then I said this, but if you don't believe that God can heal me, I don't want your prayers. Mm. I said, I, I, said I'm, I, I don't want faithless prayers. I need you, and I ask you, uh, I'm about to cry, just think about it. I said, I just need you to go before the throne of grace, the throne of God on my behalf. And I said, I want you to be specific in your prayers. And we just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Um, and let me just tell you something. Um, well, I'll tell you this, then I'll, then I'll tell you what I'm about to say. At the end of last year, December 26th, um, I went through all of my scans, all the tests to determine where I was in cancer. And uh, the doctor said, Chris, you won't believe this, but your cancer is gone. It, it is gone. And uh, just it's, it's just amazing. Um, and I, I go tomorrow for my three-month three checkup. But, but anyways, um, God, I, I believe with all of my heart, God healed me through prayer and through medicine. I'll take healing anyway, <laughs> whether it's supernatural or through, through, through medicine. I don't, I don't care. But through it all... Um, uh, last year, even though it was a tough year, I've never felt as close to the Lord um, ever. Like last year, it was un unbelievable. Um, and also, I look back now, and I will say this, that last year, I've been a pastor for 20 plus years. As a pastor, last year was my favorite year as a pastor. Yeah. And here's why. I've always prayed that we would be and that I could lead an Ephesians 4 church. God used Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 to call me into the ministry. Uh, he called son to be apostles, evangelists, and it says and he called son to be uh, pastors and teachers, teachers, pastors. Um, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher. But then you read on, it says, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. And for the first time, um, I, I, I trusted people to do the work. Yeah. And it was remarkable. Yeah. It was refreshing. And it was almost as God saying, you see, this is, this is what it, this is what it looks like. This is, this is the church. And, um, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade what happened to me. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, did my faith grow? Yes. Um, and let me share this with you. And I, I know we're, we're going long on this, but um, I was diagnosed on March 10th of last year. Um, this year on March 10th, I'm, I'm preaching through the book of Acts. And so I come to Acts chapter three, and this is on my study time. And um, in Acts chapter three, verse um, number 16, now, just get this picture. I'm reading this on my one-year anniversary, right? Um, I'm, I'm healed, and now I'm reading 
Acts 3, Peter and John have just healed a lame man. People are upset about it, but listen to what Peter Peter says this. Uh, this is 316. He says, And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Wow. So I'm reading that on my one-year anniversary, and I'm going, you know, I'm not cherry-picking this verse out. <laughs> you know, and it was almost like, listen, I'm, I'm using your story in the presence of all to tell how great God is. That's what God's saying, I, and I want people to know. Um, and so I wouldn't trade what happened to me. Um, yeah. And it's amazing how suffering empowers your sermon. And see, what a beautiful illustration, Chris, and, and really, Kyle, this conversation we've been having, you know, where it is preaching fit into discipleship, disciple-making, and then we talked about empowering our people and equipping them. But it really is for us to genuinely make disciples and create a sustainable system it is important to preach from the pulpit and to be intentional about our words and what we do and where we take people from there. But there's also that group ministry that's happening. But at the end of the day, Chris, you're going to make as big an impact with the people in your congregation because of how they saw you live outside the pulpit, that message that your life has lived. And it has affected me. I mean, I've, I have prayed for you many days as a friend, um, watching you go through that. And um, I have been grateful to watch the Lord heal you because we know that that doesn't always happen physically. But man, what a beautiful illustration as we close our time together that it is a balanced approach that we bet the farmer relationships, we preach the word, we engage people in the community, but it is a pathway we're trying to get people to walk down. So Chris Winford, Kyle Walker, Ray Sullivan, thanks for jumping on today with us. So grateful for the three of you men. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Lana Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you. And I pray that today's discussion with Kyle and Chris and Ray will equip you to think deeply, invest purposefully, and dream big as we make world-impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift. The five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-makers.